Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. They screwed up our town, they're going to fix it. The railroad has completely failed to clean up. They heard from law enforcement, I heard from Border Patrol. And let me tell you, it is a crisis down there. Now they're buying our land and they're doing it to destroy us. And it's time we get a president that wises up and stops acting like a dimwit in front of the whole world. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Monday. So, uh, Cousin Eddie, Joe Biden, landed in Kiev earlier today. What happened? Yeah. Listen, they're, they're setting this guy up as if this was, you know, his macho man event. Uh, no doubt he wanted to, you know, come up to where Donald Trump was when he went over and visited the troops. Uh, it, I think it was his first year in the presidency. Uh, he went over there on, on uh, was it Christmas, I believe? Yeah, it was Christmas Day because uh, I remember just reading recently how uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, ended up that first year not celebrating Christmas Day uh, with her family as she flew over to uh, uh, Afghanistan with the president. So Joe decided he would go uh, and do his Macho Man moment in Kiev. And, uh, but you know, so much of this is orchestrated and choreographed. Uh, the, the idea that he hand wrote this note and left it for Zelensky, uh, uh, a thank you. I, 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 I saw that and I wondered to my, you know, did this guy write this or did somebody write it and leave it there as if he wrote it? Uh, that's how bad the situation is with this president. Uh, but here's the, here's the big question. And while he was over there, he promised him on the, the, the country another half a billion dollars in aid. Do you realize that a uh, half a billion dollars would be equivalent to uh, $3,300, $150,000 houses? I mean, everybody in East Palestine, Ohio, could receive a new home for what we're giving to Ukraine. Now, I'm not saying that we should do that, but the idea that President Biden is over there in the middle of uh, this war, and it was sort of interesting that the United States called up Russia and saying, hey, we're sending Biden over there. My first my first thought was when they announced and called up Russia saying that we're sending Joe over to Kiev, my first thought was, are they inviting them to have some target practice? <laughs> Does the Democrat Party want to get rid of Joe that bad that you would announce that? But, but right now there's a lot of people, especially the people up in Ohio, and East Palestine that are thinking, my gosh, you won't come and visit us, but you're over there in Ukraine visiting Zelensky, promising them more money, and you're ignoring us. But, you know, that's pretty much how the Obama-Biden White House is operated. Especially, listen, if, if you're a white male, I mean, you're really on the bottom of the list. Uh, this town basically voted for Trump, overwhelmingly voted for Trump. So obviously they're really on the bottom of the list. And, you know, you, you know, they get up there and they, they spout off these accolades, how I'm the president for everybody. 
really, if, if this situation was in a heavily minority uh, area that was predominantly uh, Biden supporters, do you think he'd be there by now? Do you think they'd be screaming at the uh, railroad uh, Norfolk Southern a lot louder? Uh, it is it is very frustrating. Again, I'm not proposing that we buy everybody in East Palestine, Ohio, a new house, but I'm just just trying to equate how much money we're spending on the Ukraine Ukrainian conflict. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, um, Zelensky came out today and look if, if and China is actively in communication with Russia and getting involved with this Ukrainian. Mess and uh, they're they're saying uh, if if that happens this will be World War Three, essentially. Uh, I mean, is it already World War Three? I mean, we've got pretty much everybody against Russia except for China. They're not in it yet, but is China going to decide to do that? I'd be surprised if they did. I mean, I think we we uh, we buy about a half of. Uh, $500 billion more in China goods than what we sell them. I believe that's the number. Uh, it, would hurt, it would hurt their economy big time if that happened. So I'm not so sure that they will. By the way, uh, speaking of East Palestine, Donald Trump has uh, said he will visit East Palestine on Wednesday. The Babylon Bee is reporting that Hunter Biden has asked his dad to pick up his paycheck as long as he's in Kiev. Save save them the postage. Go ahead. That's a Babylon P. Uh, <laughs> Babylon B is a parody. Uh, but if it, I mean, if this had happened a few years ago, he would have, right? When he was over there telling uh, Ukrainian people who to hire and who to fire, and yeah, they would have. Uh, he'd have been happy to pick up a check for him. John Hood had a good article out in the uh, Carolina Journal today, speaking of. Um, an individual who really uh, was instrumental in making the Republican Party in North Carolina what it is today. I'm speaking of James Thomas Broyhill. Uh, his dad founded the Broyhill Furniture Company, J uh, James Edgar Broyhill. Uh, for the most part, the older Broyhill, uh, he was a minor player in politics. But you know, back when the Broyhill Furniture Company was started, North Carolina still had a lot of conservatives, Dixiecrats, but they were not, uh, re the Republicans could hold their state convention in a phone booth. Ed Broyhill, as the furniture magnet was, uh, was called, never sought public office, although he did serve, serve on the Republican National Committee for 28 years. His son, Jim who after many years in the family business decided in 1962 to try his hand in a different possession, uh, a profession rather, uh, as a politician. In the mid-60s, Roy Hill edged out his congressional Democrat opponent by a margin of 50.5% to 49.5%. This was down in the Charlotte area. In the early 70s, a decade later, it was Jim Broyhill who began mentoring the next newcomer to D.C. That was Jim Martin, who would later become governor. Broyhill was assisting minority leader John Rhodes at that time in assigning Republicans to committees. Jim Martin wanted to serve on the Appropriations Committee, but Broyhill wanted him on the Tax Writing Committee, the Ways and Means Committee. Martin protested, saying he didn't know much about taxes. Broyhill said, you better study up, because that's where you're going. He did. Uh, Martin ended up becoming an early supply cider, along with Jack Kemp and Trent Lott. 
1986, two years into Martin's first term as the North Carolina governor, it was his turn to tap Jim Broyhill, in this case to fill the Senate seat that was left vacant by the death of Republican John East. Broyhill won the upcoming primary over Davis Funderburk, who lost in the gen- and then he lost in the general election to Terry Sanford. Uh, Jim Broyhill um, died over the weekend at age of 95. Uh, a lot of uh, young people won't even remember that name. They'll recognize the Broyhill furniture name, but they uh, would have not even known about Jim Broyhill, who uh, that was back in the uh, 86, the year I moved down to North Carolina was uh, right after I moved to North Carolina. That's when uh, the passing of uh, of Senator East happened, and uh, Jim Broyhill took over as the uh, new senator from North Carolina. A fairly short stint as he was not reelected. Terry Sanford ended up uh, winning that uh, seat in the general election. As you might have heard at the news at the top of the hour, Jimmy Carter, who is now 98 years old, he is the oldest living ex-president ever. Uh, He's the oldest living ex-president of our age, but uh, no one who has been president has lived as long as Jimmy Carter has, 98 years old. Uh, He has entered into hospice in Plains, Georgia. And, you know, 98 years old, he is smart enough to realize that uh, he is in the last days of his life, and he said, I want to die at home. So a hospice has been brought in. He wants to die with his family around him and his home. And uh, who can blame him? Uh, he, he was a surprise to a lot of people when uh, he opened his uh, bid for presidency. And, uh, of course, he won the 76th uh, presidential election against uh, Gerald Ford. And he fooled a lot of people. There were a lot of people who considered him, first of all, they thought he was a businessman. He was a peanut farmer, and, th- and they, that's really what they sold him as. And uh, they thought he would be um, somewhat even-keeled and uh, moderate. And uh, unfortunately, he, and I hate to say this in his dying days, uh, he's a very nice man. He's done a lot for Habitat for Humanity. Uh, He said early on that he was living out what he believes, and uh, kudos for that. But as president... um, he is very delighted that uh, Barack Hussein Obama was elected. He's more excited that uh, uh, Biden has been elected because he has gone from the worst president in the history of his country to the third worst. So for that, he's very grateful. But, uh, you know, our best to uh, Jimmy Carter and his family in his final days. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a time out. Stay with us. Lots more to talk about on this Monday edition of News and Views. We'll be right back. the show that really makes you think. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Just don't hurt yourself, okay? More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. It is February the 20th, 231 years ago today. In 1792, George Washington created the U.S. Post Office. He sent a letter to his wife to announce it, and uh, she's still waiting on that. Seems to be delayed. 61 years ago in 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth flying aboard Friendship 7. I can remember, I'm dating myself, I can remember sitting in school in the cafeteria 
waiting for, um, I don't know if it was lunch or waiting for school to start. In 1961 in February, I would have been in the first grade still. Um, and uh, I can remember they played over the intercom uh, the audio of uh, the television broadcast of John Glenn orbiting the Earth. That was a long, long time ago. Looking at your weather forecast tonight, a low of around 55 with cloudy skies. Tomorrow, cloudy early sunshine late in the day, a high of 76. A Wednesday, mostly cloudy with a high of 77. Thursday, partly cloudy, a high of 85. And uh, Friday is uh, cloudy with uh, 69. Cools down and rains on Saturday, the high on Saturday. Uh, the graphic says uh, 55. My notes here say about uh, 50 degrees. Uh, the graphic says 30% chance of rain. This is saying uh, 78%. So somewhere between 30 and 78, just saying. Uh, we're not uh, meteorologists. We're just, uh, that's our view on the weather news. Uh, Marjorie Green, the Republican from Georgia, has tweeted that the country needs a national divorce between red states and blue states. We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government, Green tweeted. Everyone I talk to says this, from the sick to the disgustingly woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrat, traitorous American last policies, we are done. Well, that's the truth, the American last policies. <laughs> Make America lousy again. That's basically what uh, the Biden-Obama... And listen, this is the third term of, of Barack Hussein-Obama. Uh, make, make no doubt about it. He's calling the shots. This isn't the first time Green has suggested splitting the United States, asking her Twitter followers in October a poll... Should Americans have a national divorce? Those who voted, 47.7% said no, stay together. 43% said yes. Less than 10% were undecided. Other lawmakers have made similar suggestions, with the Texas GOP floating the idea of succeeding, seceding, I should say, from the United States after the Supreme Court would not overturn the 2020 election. Well, those are just individuals in Texas. Uh, I agree with your frustration. Representative Green, uh, I don't think that's the answer, though. Now, what is the answer? I would say uh, we need a convention of states, and uh, we need... I, I, here's the problem, though. Um, we have anarchy in this country right now. We have got people in D.C. that, if the, for, for example, the Supreme Court... Issues an opinion, uh, normally it's considered, okay, well, we have, that, that's the third branch of government. And uh, if they say, it goes, and we need to follow that. Now when we have judicial decisions, we see this administration, and I will say, Democrats much, much, much more than Republicans. They see a decision that comes along, and they say, screw you. <laughs> I mean, they basically say, we're not going to do what you say. What you say is law. We're going to go ahead and break the law again. And there's no ramifications. There's, there's no uh, pushback. Is that not the beginning of anarchy? I'd say so. So, uh, 
I'm not sure what the answer is. I, I really do think, well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm always talking about term limits, but here's the other issue. When we have politicians that clearly violate what has been proclaimed as constitutional or unconstitutional by the, by the courts, and they deliberately turn around and say, we're going to do what we want to do anyway, then why uh, why isn't there some sort of punishment for those people to break the law? I guarantee if it was a conservative doing it, there would be ramifications. Senator Bernie Sanders said yesterday that Nikki Haley calling for competency tests for office was absurd, absurd and ageist. Haley, 51, made the call when announcing her presidential bid in South Carolina last week. Sanders, 81, probably worried that after Joe gets tested, he might get tested. The 81-year-old former presidential candidate himself told CBS News on Sunday that voters could determine a candidate's competency by looking at him. No, they can't. Exhibit A, Joe Biden. (laughs) Look, they hid Joe Biden, and people fell for it. You know, we are fighting racism, we're fighting sexism, we're fighting homophobia. I think we also should be fighting ageism, Sanders said. Trust people, look at people and say, you know, this person is competent, this person is not competent. There are a lot of 40-year-old out there who aren't particularly competent. I think he's talking about John Fetterman. Uh, I'm sure Bernie is rather concerned that he is next. I think that's the problem. Uh, Again, during her uh, first rally, Haley said, we'll have term limits for Congress and mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. Of course, I'm not too far from 75, so uh, I don't plan to run for office. They might have competency tests for uh, talk show hosts. 561-8255. Let's go to uh, Tom's on the line. Hey, Tom, how are you, sir? Hey, Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. Uh, Thank you, sir. I'm wanted to get on the other day. I didn't get a chance to. You were talking about the, the three or four people that really the Democrat Party had that they could run. And you mentioned AOC, but isn't there an age that you have to be before you can run for president? Yeah, I think she is too young. Good point. I think, uh, is it 40? I think it's 40 or 45. Yeah, it I might mean, be 45. Granted, she's, she's old enough to be a congressman and a cocktail waitress, but, you know, um, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, looking it up real quick here. Hold on a second. Uh, uh, in setting the minimum age, 35 for serving as president compared to 30 for senators, 25 for representatives. Okay. So, so 35. Yeah, 35. Yeah, I was thinking it was 40 or 45 as well. But uh, uh, according to uh, this this one... Uh, Site I'm looking. I'm I'm, assu- I'm assuming they're they're correct, but uh, somebody can call us all if the, uh, we're wrong on that. All the news media, or not the news media, excuse me. A lot of folks are asking, why is he focusing on Ukraine and not the southern border? Well, the easiest answer is there's kickbacks in Ukraine. There's nothing he can make <laughs> in the southern border. I laugh, but it's too true to be funny, and and it, it, it is true. I, I guarantee you, it's true. Listen, these people that want to give away money hand over fist, I guarantee you, they're having their palms greased. I'm sure they are. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. Anyway, hey, great, great comments. Yes, thank you, Tom. Appreciate the call. Five six one eight two five five. If you want to chime in. Uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, speaking of the border, Mayorkas was on uh, with Chris Wallace on CNN's Who's Talking to Chris Wallace. That's like, where's Waldo? Uh, he said, Mayorkas said to Chris Wallace that the border is secure. When asked how he can say the border is secure, Mayorka said, right now the United States has millions of jobs open due to the economic success of this administration. <laughs> I've not seen an administration that can twist things 16 ways from Sunday. We have progressed in conquering the pandemic far more than the countries to the south of Mexico. And that makes the United States an appealing place of destination for people fleeing persecution or otherwise in desperate need of a better life. Now, here's the deal, uh, Mayorkas. Countries to our south do not give away free medical care, free phones, subsidies for housing. Come on up and we'll send you to New York and you can have a four-star hotel and you can ransack it. We'll make sure you got plenty of money. Chris Wallace asked, but when you say it's secure, what does secure mean to you? It certainly doesn't mean people are able to get across the border illegally. Mayorkas, of course not. That is, by that measure, the border has never been secure, right? Uh, yeah, it has been. Not to say that there weren't a few people that snuck across, but if they were caught, there were big-time ramifications. Uh, he goes on to say, since the Department of Homeland Security was created, individuals have evaded. Wallace said, so by what measure is it secure, sir? Mayorkas, there is not a common definition of that. Wallace, what is your definition? What our goal is to achieve operational control of the border, to do everything that we can to support our personnel with resources, the technology, the politics that really advance the security of the border, and do not come at the cost of the values of our country. Well, you're failing miserably there. Of course, values of our country. He's talking about his values. He's talking about progressive values. He's talking about the Biden administration values. Those values are America and American ideals for the last 200 years, are terrible, they stink, they're racist, they're homophobic, and uh, and we ought to be ashamed of ourselves for being successful. So let's all those people come in. So when he's talking about the values of our country, he's not talking about your values. He's not talking about traditional American values. He's talking about progressive woke values. Wallace pointed out the migrants believe there is an, uh, there is an open border, Mayorka said, of course they do. Republicans are guilty of communicating that message to smugglers that the border is open. That's why we're having some. It's not the it's not the administration's fault. It's those Republicans that are complaining about the open border that is advertising it to all kinds of people in these all around the world. I mean, I just saw over the weekend, 25 to 35 Communist Chinese a day are coming across the southern border. A day. That definition. What a bunch of gar garbage. <laughs> I mean, word salad. This is Kamala Harris word salad. 
But and listen, he can't give a definition of the border. I mean, he said there's not a common definition of that when it comes to a secure border. This is the same crowd that can't give you a definition of what a woman is. So it shouldn't surprise us. <laughs> Thank you, Kamala. Needed a good laugh. Five six one eight two five five. Who do we have, Clark? Hey, Richard. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. Good to hear from you. What's up? Well, you know, you're talking about the southern border, and they want to the shifting. Richard, I, I got to cut you short. I cannot hear you. Uh, can you get a little closer? Can you? Yeah, that's better. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. All right. Well, it seems like they're shifting some of the equipment and sources to the northern border because they're finding out that they walk across. The Canadian border easier. Okay, we got I'm sorry, Richard. I really apologize for cutting you off, but uh, we can't understand what you're saying. I, I think he was getting to the fact that we're sending a lot of our resources to the northern border, and yes, there's people sneaking across there because we're not paying any attention to it. And yeah, good, good point. Uh, let's go ahead and take another time out. Stay with us when we get back. I've got uh, some new polling information. Do Americans support diversity on college campuses? You know, we've got this uh, Supreme Court decision coming out later in uh, the spring and summer concerning uh, admissions uh, policies at the University of North Carolina and Harvard. How do the American people feel about it? Stay with us. We'll talk about that when we get back. With Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Uh, yes, Benny is uh, in the middle of tax season. He's an accountant by trade. And uh, taxes, it's that time of year. Go see H&R Block. CNS News is reporting in a new analysis of several polls. Gallup concludes that while Americans support the idea of diversity on college campuses, they do not like the idea of colleges using race and ethnicity as a factor in decisions on college admissions. That's been going on for decades. The pro-diversity claim is that student body filled with people of a myriad of backgrounds, racially, ethnically, economically, religiously, enriches the higher education experience and produces stronger leaders. And while Americans in general support that goal, they do not support using race as a factor. For instance, Gallup reported in recent uh, Reuters IFAS poll, for example, 38, I'm sorry, 58% of respondents supported programs whose goal is to increase the racial diversity of students on college campuses. But in the same poll, 62% said race and ethnicity should not be considered at all in college admissions. A Washington Post SCAR poll showed the same support strong for diversity, although it found that 64% of Americans backed the Supreme Court's banning colleges and universities from considering a student's race and ethnicity when making decisions about students' admissions. Uh, this is another great, uh, is, but they have another case in front of them now, Harvard and uh, North Carolina. Basically the same issue again. Gallup polling in 2016 showed that less than 10% of Americans said race or gender should be major factors in college admission decisions. It is. By contrast, 73% said High school grades should be a major factor. 55% said the same about standardized test scores. 
And now, do they even consider standardized test scores? My understanding is they've pretty much been eliminated. A Pew Research survey in 2022 found that 74% of Americans said race or ethnicity should not be a factor in college admissions. 82% said the same about gender. Of course, women are smarter (laughs) coming out of high school anyway. I don't think there's any issue there. Uh, Maybe they're talking about reverse gender, right? A 2022 survey by Seltzer Research for Grinnell College discovered that 68% of Americans said colleges should not be able to take a person's race into account when deciding on college admission. Even in California in 2020, the fruitcake land, 57% of voters there rejected a proposal to repeal an earlier ban on the use of race in admissions to public universities in the state. On a related topic, Gallup also discovered that Americans recognized the lasting negative impact of the nation's history of slavery on black Americans today, but Americans are opposed to the idea of cash reparations to compensate for those practices. But yeah, because there's nobody around that's guilty of that. They've all died and been in the ground for 200 years. Again, the Supreme Court is expected to use... Uh, I'm sorry, expected to decide on the use of race in college admissions at the Harvard University and University of North Carolina and those schools in early June. Now, what's interesting about this, Thomas Sowell, I think Thomas Sowell is like, and he's from Gastonia, North Carolina, a political commentator, an economist, genius guy, black American, um, doesn't come any smarter. He's actually from Gastonia, North Carolina. This is from a few decades ago, but this is how insightful this guy was, and he is absolutely correct when he says this. That here's what he said concerning how academic affirmative action is a disservice to the African American student. At the University of California, Berkeley, for example, where the entering freshman class has been described as, quote, wonderfully diverse, unquote. These are your words. More than 70% of black students fail to graduate. Why? Because they're mismatched with Berkeley. The average black student at Berkeley is above the national average on test scores. It's just that the average white student is further above the national average, and the average Asian student further above than the white students. And so in that atmosphere, these students who have every qualification to succeed are artificially turned into failures. And the only beneficiary of that is the University of California at Berkeley, because what they've effectively done is rented these bodies for window dressing for a few years. And then when they're through with them, they're put aside, and a new bunch of bodies are brought in. Have you told them that? Oh, yes. And what do they say to you? The people who really have the influence are not the people I've talked with. Those people know exactly what they're doing. There's another group, I guess, that's beneficial from this. You have an establishment there, a black studies establishment, who needs students to be in their classrooms, and these students serve those serve their purposes. The people who have political movements have people they can mobilize for those movements while those students are there. It's very much like what happens in athletics, that you have students who come in, as long as they can score touchdowns, the coach is happy. The fact that these students don't graduate is not the coach's problem. And the students have to be sacrificed, then they are sacrificed. This is Thomas Sowell from probably about 40 years ago, maybe even 50 years ago. This is probably back in the 70s. And, I mean, how insightful this guy was. I mean, at the time, I mean, you had some, you had some campus riots going on, but I mean, most of the people just sort of wrote that off as a bunch of long-haired uh, hippies and whatever, but... How insightful this guy was that the, 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 these that they're being used oftentimes to to act as pawns for their protests. 
he was extreme. Thomas Sowell is, again, he's in his late 90s, I believe, extremely insightful. And I'm sure he was cognizant of, of this. He didn't mention it in this clip, but I'm sure he's well aware that in order to accommodate this affirmative action in education, the standards for everybody has been lowered. And they're still on the way down. I mean, we, had a, we had a story on Friday talking about this. How basically in the name of equity, that now this is on the high school level, but it's going to come over to the college level. It's not already there. In the name of equity, we need to make sure we lower the standards for English and mathematics. And in some cases, eliminate the, the studies altogether. So in, in, in the name of equity, we're all going to be idiots. We're all going to be morons. Thank goodness we got men like Thomas Sowell out there. Eric Adams is taking a pot shot at Ron DeSantis. Listen, Ron DeSantis is running for president. Uh, would he be up there visiting New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, talking about how successful their law enforcement has been in Florida if he wasn't running? New York Mayor Eric Adams welcomed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to the area as the governor is visiting Staten Island to tout the state's success with crime and retention and law enforcement. You know, the other thing he's talking about, too, now this is probably why he's up there, quote, on business, the official reason. Uh, and listen, I'm not knocking. I hope DeSantis does run. I think he'd make a great president. I think it would be fun to see him. And I mean, I hate to see a, I hate to see a split, but... Uh, it would be a very interesting competitive political race with DeSantis and Trump both in there. But he's up there basically. One of the things he wants to do is recruit dissatisfied, demoralized law enforcement officers that want to come down to Florida. So, yeah, we'll hire you. If you're sick of the woke crowds constantly belittling you and vilifying you, come to Florida. We'll hire you. Mayor Adams said New York City is not a place that ban books, discriminates against our LGBTQ plus neighbors, use asylum seekers as props, or just let the government stand between a woman and her health care. Use asylum seekers as props. Didn't Adams, he, wasn't he just spending the night in uh, an all-nighter at an uh, illegal immigrant shelter just a couple of weeks ago making national headlines? But he's saying that uh, DeSantis is using those props. Listen, why, why is it? And by the way, this, this is this is asinine. This is dis, this is disgusting. To discriminate against our LGBTQ plus neighbors. The only thing that DeSantis has done is he's come in and said, in our public school systems that the government runs, we're not going to use allow that to be used as a tool to push the propagation of the LGBTQ plus agenda. If you wanted to go down and live in Florida as an LGBTQ plus individual, you had the same rights that every other citizen of Florida has. But that, that, that doesn't give you privilege to go in and indoctrinate and groom kids for your personal desires. But leave it to a Democrat to, to twist the truth. Anyway, he, Adams goes on to say, we're happy to teach you something about values while you're here. <laughs> Lack of values. 
While not replying directly to Adams' tweet, DeSantis did tweet about Florida leading, quote, leading the nation in protecting law enforcement officers and our crime rate is at a 50-year low, while New York City saw a 23% surge in major crime in just 2022. Ending with anti-police politicians should shop, should stop catering to the woke mob. Let me say that again. Anti-police politicians should stop catering to the woke mob. While New York City saw a 23% surge in major crime, the Santas will also be visiting Chicago and Philadelphia and other American cities, experiencing increasing crime. To talk about law enforcement in his state, naturally, Democrats in each of those cities are not happy with the prospect of DeSantis visiting except for a few. Now, it's obviously the Republicans that are welcome to Santa's in, and I'm sure many of the people that are hosting him are those people that want to see him run for president. Interestingly, one alderman in Chicago, Raymond Lopez, tweeted, politicians should learn from the pro-crime environments they created instead of going after the Santa's. Quote, our, this is this tweet, our politicos are upset that Ron DeSantis is coming to Illinois today to attempt to lure police officers to relocate to Florida. Why aren't they upset with the environment they created that is hostile to law enforcement, ignores thousands, uh, thousands of victims, and protects the criminal? Uh, bingo. Uh, kudos to uh, DeSantis. I'm going in. Hey, man, he's going into the mouth of the lion. And... Uh, He'll come out unscathed. Stay with us. More news and views coming right up. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Alec Baldwin has scored a victory today. Santa Fe County, New Mexico District Attorney dropped the gun enhancement charge against the actor in a case over the shooting uh, in that uh, Rust um, film, Rust cinematographer Helen and, uh, Hutchins died. Um, the drop charge means Baldwin will not face anything longer than 18 months in prison. He, listen, uh, I'll be shocked if he serves a day in prison. Uh, for Baldwin to be convicted of the gun enhancement charge, prosecutors would have to prove that he brandished the firearm with intent to harm or intimidate a person. The actor has maintained he is not responsible for the death. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the person allegedly responsible for handling guns on the movie set, also faces an involuntary manslaughter charge. The city of Seattle has settled a lawsuit over the city's failure to put an end to the Capitol Hill-occupied protest chop zone for three weeks during the summer of 2020 agreeing to pay a total of $3.65 million to more than a dozen local businesses and citizens who filed the suit, according to the Seattle Times. I'm pleased that we're able to resolve this matter and turn the page from a difficult period of time, the city attorney Ann Davison said in a statement to uh, News King 5. Last month, a judge imposed severe sanctions on the city after finding evidence that the leaders intentionally deleted Thousands of text messages related to CHOP from their phones, which they attempted to hide for months from attorneys, according to the Seattle Times. The lawsuit does not seek to undermine CHOP participants' message or present, uh, a counter message, or, or present a counter message. The lawsuit uh, states 
Rather, this lawsuit was about the constitutional and other legal rights of the plaintiffs, businesses, employees, etc. The moral of this story, and by the way, there was uh, other victims, uh, the father of a 16-year-old who was shot and killed, the mother of a 19-year-old who was fatally shot. Uh, They still have uh, lawsuits that have not been settled yet. The suit goes on. But listen, the moral of this story is, again, the person or, or people that made these, I'm going to call them illegal decisions, because they violated the civil rights of these individuals. They did not protect these individuals as they should. They deliberately told police officers to back down, let the hoodlums take over. And they, they, you know, wink and a nod. This is okay. But will they pay the price? No. It's the taxpayers of Seattle that will end up footing this bill for the illegal incompetence of elected officials and bureaucrats. This is an interesting story. (laughs) I'm not sure where this happened. Fox News reported over the weekend a North Carolina man developed an uncontrollable Irish accent until his death after being treated for prostate cancer, according to research published in the British Medical Journal. The patient, who was only identified as a man in his 50s, was presumably afflicted with foreign accent syndrome after receiving... uh, this therapy to fight the cancer. The report said the man did live in England during his 20s, um, but an uncontrollable Irish accent was a a, a byproduct of going through this uh, chemotherapy to fight the cancer. Uh, Interesting. Hey, uh, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. We'll talk to you then. See ya. Bye-bye. All right, all right, all right.